Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to updates on the latest and on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, July 19th, 2018. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Oh, so good. Yeah. This is this is totally a you episode. <laughs> I was like digging into everything. I'm like, oh no, I don't know anything about this. Yes, you so. do. I was reading through your notes. You know, plenty. This will be this will be fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about all these books. Yeah. What have you been reading lately? Uh, so oh my goodness, I. Finally read This Is Not a Test by Courtney Summers. Uh, I know I was like digging into it uh, forever ago, and I finally like sat down, had lunch, and just like read it all in one sitting. Um, do not read this book when you are sitting in like a uh, Cuban hamburger place and getting like chorizo burgers because it is a zombie book and people get eaten, <laughs> and maybe it's not a book for that environment. But oh my god, I loved it. Uh, I like that it's like, like it's more about like the characters and they're like complicated, totally screwed up relationships as opposed to the zombies. You mm-hmm. know, like I never thought I'd be like, oh wow, I really like this quiet zombie novel. But here it is. Um, and if anyone chimes in on Twitter to tell me that, oh, that's the walk, that's what The Walking Dead is about. It's really about the people. I don't care. <laughs> that show is ten seasons in, and I have a child and want to spend time with him. So uh, this book was awesome. Uh, like, thank you for insisting I read it, like, a million times. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling you would be into it. Yes. It's, like, totally a me book. Um, and, like, I know I already said I read Whole Metal Girls by Emily Skrusky, um after pleading for an arc here on the podcast. Um, and it was perfect and everything I want in a YA novel. But it came out uh, this week, the week we're recording, um, and I had to go pick it up because I need it in my library forever. <laughs> and the dedication, the book is dedicated to the Kung Fu Panda 2 soundtrack. I love that. So now I love it even more. Oh man, that is awesome. <laughs> what about you? What is on your list? So um, last week, well, I guess, yeah, last week after we recorded the podcast episode, I got super sick um, and like oh. not anything contagious or like awful, just like one of those colds where you lose your voice and then you cough all the time. So you can't really do anything because you uh, know, the second you get settled into doing something, it's like you have a coughing fit and it, it's just one of those things. So I had a hard time like concentrating on reading because I was sitting there like you know, trying to do anything for more than a minute or two before just yeah. succumbing to you know, a coughing fit. And um, <laughs> because summer colds are the worst, they are the worst. Um, but I did, I like, as I started feeling better, I just like dove back in and I read a book called Apple in the Middle by Don Quigley and it comes out in August. So really soon, I can't remember the exact date, but it's about a native teen who has grown up with her father who's not native. Her mother who is native died, um, after a car accident And this car accident is when Apple, the main character, was born. So she was delivered before her mother, her mother passed away. Uh And uh, so the book follows as she sort of like distances herself from this native background until this one summer when her dad and stepmom decide that they're going to go on an extended vacation and they send her 
to spend the summer with her grandparents on her mother's side. So she uh, spends the summer in the Turtle Mountains with her Ojibwe family. And um, so it's her sort of reconnecting with this part of her and really coming to understand like what family is like and, and these sorts of traditions she never grew up with, but ended up really feeling like they were a part of who she is. And um, it's definitely a younger YA book. But uh, it's something that we so rarely see in YA. We, like, never see coming-of-age stories that are contemporary stories about Native uh, teenagers. So it was really cool. Um, And as soon as I blew through that, I picked up Nightingale by Amy Lukovics and tore through it. Um, It's a horror novel, and I, I have to preface it by also saying that it's important to note, and this is something we'll talk about a little later in the show, it's important to note that horror is a mood and not a genre, so it can transcend all genres. And um, mm-hmm. So reading the reviews of Nightingale was really funny because people were saying, this is science fiction, not horror. And yeah, it's science fiction, but it's horror. Um, and explaining why it's science fiction would be a total spoiler for the book, so I won't bring it up. But it's it's a book about a girl in the 1950s who is sent to a mental asylum And we kind of go back and forth in time figuring out why she was sent there. But uh, along the way, we figure out pretty quickly that she's a totally unreliable narrator. So uh, what is really going on and what uh, we're being lied to about is totally fascinating to read throughout the whole book. Um, And it's one of those that I finished and I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. But the longer I get away from it, the more I'm like, it was a really smart book, like super smart. Um, And I keep thinking about little plot points and just, uh, you know, it's one of those books that like, if you love horror, you'll just eat up. Um, yeah. And you, you said it's science fiction. Yeah, it is. Explaining why would be a total spoiler. So I'm not going to, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's science fiction. Cool. It makes me think of that book, the the first time she drowned, but somehow science fiction. I, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. I need to check this out. Yeah. I'm totally curious what you'll think about it because it wasn't what I was expecting. Um, and you know, sometimes you go in like expecting a thing and when you don't get it, you're like, man, I didn't like it cause it didn't do what I wanted it to do. But something mm-hmm. about this one worked really well because I was like, I was not expecting that at all. And it worked. And I like that my expectations were messed with that, you know, that drastically. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I just started yesterday, um, Dream Country by Shannon Gibney. Yes! It's her Yay. second book. Yeah. I, so as soon as I saw the cover for it, it must have been earlier this year, I was hoping that I would get pitched for it because I'm like, okay, I loved her first book, loved it so much. And this one sound, sounded incredible. And uh, I just started it. It's about five generations of young people from uh, Liberia, and they're all part um uh, They all come to the United States and have different stories about their background and experience. So I've gotten through the first character so far, and we know that he is a a refugee from Liberia and has some trouble fitting into his Minneapolis area high school. And it looks at sort of the uh, cultural expectations about him as a black refugee versus those black students who are African-American have always been in the U S and it's just, it's really fascinating. And, um, I think it's one of those books that's going to mean a lot to a lot of readers. So I'm really excited to, to get a little bit further in it. It's a nice thick book too. It's about 400 pages long. Yes. I have a copy. I can't wait to read it. I did a, did a little event with Shannon a couple, uh, a couple months ago and she was saying how this book took her 10 years to write. 
she put a, um, and this is the first thing I wrote. Well, okay. So I read the first chapter and then I flipped to the back of the arc and there's a really lengthy author's note in here that is oh. totally fascinating about, um, everything she learned about Liberia and about the slave trade and about the history of colonization and how all of those things that she learned as well as her own personal life sort of gave her this idea for this book and how she, she took these, these ideas that are just so huge and, mm-hmm. and wove them into something that is contemporary and now, and yet still represents a lot of this history and experience. So I, I love when an author includes an author's note that adds something to it, you know, that like, you just like, you love the thought that that went into the book. You love the thought of like what research they did and, I'm all for authors' notes. I know a lot of readers just skip them, but for me, it's like sometimes that's the first thing I read in a book. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, or the or the dedication when it's dedicated to the Kung Fu Panda yes. Two soundtrack. <laughs> we should do a show sometime on great dedications and authors' notes and like <gasps> yes, all those extra oh, little pieces. Yeah, because that'll that, give me an excuse to like open literally every single YA <laughs> novel on my bookshelf trying <laughs> to find them. Um, I, I like that. <laughs> And it's it's one of those things that I'm sure you could say it too. Like as a writer, those things are almost the hardest to write. You know, like really do you write something super sentimental? Do you write something really personal? Do you write something funny? Like, what do you do with that? And, and there are plenty of people who don't do anything. But then it's like that's a choice too. And yeah, but yeah, let's let's put that on the on the topic topic board for future yes. conversations. Uh, so before we dive into our show, just a reminder that we're giving away $500 of this year's best YA fiction and nonfiction as selected by me. I uh, have a full list that you can go to and look through. It's huge and it's full of awesome titles. Um, just about any great YA book that has come out so far this year is going to be on that list. Uh, the giveaway ends July 31st. And to enter, you go to bookriot.com slash 500 as in 500 YA giveaway to enter. It's free to enter. Um, US only. But man, you're going to get a bounty of YA books. Like, oh my goodness. Like, just looking at the list, like, there's so many books on here that we've basically been, like, screaming about all year. Your book is uh, on that list, too. Aw, you you were too good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see Summer of Jordi Perez on here, which we love. I see Lily Anderson on here. Um Oh my God! Children of Blood and Bone. This is uh, Hazelwood. What? Yeah. This is this is great. Yeah, it's a great list. Um, it's so cool when you're like you're told, okay, so you have to pick five hundred dollars worth of books to give away. It's like, oh man, what a terrible task to have to do today. You know? <laughs> I mean, the hard part was like eliminating books that I wanted to include, but five hundred pretty darn good list. So um, to enter again, it's bookriot.com/slash five hundred YA giveaway. And then our first sponsor for the show is I'm Not Missing by Carrie Fountain from Flatiron Books. Brianna's best friend Sid is missing suddenly and inexplicably, leaving behind nothing but a pink leopard print cell phone with a text message from a mysterious him. I'm Not Missing, the YA debut from poet Carrie Fountain, has an incredibly strong voice and one that we can all relate to. Aside from the characters, readers will fall deeply in love with the New Mexico setting that Fountain brings alive throughout. Critics are calling I'm Not Missing funny and tender and claiming that it tackles the big questions of life. And that's I'm Not Missing by Carrie Fountain from Flatiron Books. Sounds great. Is it a, uh, is it like a, a, what's it, a 
YA in verse book? Because it said she was a poet. I don't know if it's verse or not. If it, I, I've seen the ad for it. It has a really cool mm-hmm. cover, um, but I haven't looked at it yet. I don't know why. Hmm. I'm on Goodreads. It, it does not look like it is a YA in verse okay. book, but that cover looks gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it's really attractive. So uh, let's let's dive into our first topic, which will lead nicely into our second topic. Um, and the first yes. topic is talking about nostalgia YA. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, why, in general, we love talking about old YA series so much. Um, what is it about sort of nostalgia that, like, really works for people... I want to say in our age, but I want to say it's like most adults probably have this like little tinge of feelings, you know, for old things from their childhood. And um, I've been thinking a lot about it and wondering how much shows like Stranger Things have sort of brought uh, not only a ton of science fiction and horror that is great for fans of the show, but it's also brought about a love for those older series that we all read in middle and high school. So, like, it's definitely also helping books that are set in the 80s and 90s sort of find their way. Um, I don't want to say that I don't get it, but uh, I think today's teens are still thinking the 90s are super cool. Like, there was a while there that we were getting books set in the 80s and 90s, and I was like, the teens don't care. But now it's like, they do. Uh, they think that the, the 90s are cool. And uh, having grown up in the 90s, I can say they were definitely not cool. Uh, super not cool. Yeah, you know, I don't feel like I ever, like, sit around like, oh, wow, I wish, I miss the good old days of the 90s. You know, like, it's just not, it's not a, uh, I don't know. I don't have that feeling (laughs) when Mm -hmm. I think about it. I miss my modem. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, yes, I forgot about modems as a thing. (laughs) Um, Did you see, there's, like, there's some TV show on MTV, so I don't have TV, but when I go to a hotel, like, I catch all the bad TV that I never watch. And there was some show on MTV called 90s House, I think, where it's, like, they put all the kids in a house and they have just, like, a dial-up modem to get on the internet and no cell phones. <laughs> I, I like seeing the, the, the Facebook videos that pop up now and again. I think BuzzFeed does them where it's, like, modern teenagers try using a Game Boy for the first time. <laughs> or, you know, modern teenagers try using this thing that meant a lot to you. And, uh, yeah, it's always a, um, it's a mixture of like laughs and like a gut punch. Like <laughs> you don't understand. Meanwhile, I'm over here. Like, I don't know how to use the new iTunes. It's like beyond me. You know? <laughs> uh, and it's so funny. Cause like, you know, I, I sometimes feel like I'm like, um, like a bad person for nostalgic books. Um, because like, I feel like the, the books that I was like nostalgic and, and like read in terms of YA as a kid, um, are still kind of around mm-hmm. and, and happening. Like I remember reading like a bunch of Gordon Corman books when I was a kid, like the little scholastic paperbacks. Um, like that was for whatever reason, he was like the one person my mom would like bring home piles of his books for me. Um, like, I don't know what it was about like the Twinkie squad that my mom was like, yes, you need all these books. Um, and I don't feel like I ever have moments where I'm like, Oh, I wish there were more McDonald hall books around. Um, because he's, he's still writing. Like he has a sequel to that ungifted book, uh, coming out later this year. So he's still, he's still out there doing his thing, you know, like, I don't know. It's funny because I feel sort of similar. Like, I get warm feelings for the series that I read and loved. But uh, also, like, as soon as I saw the news that they were shopping a Babysitter's Club reboot, I was like, why? 
we don't, we, <laughs> we really don't need that. Um, and then the, the thing about like, they want to reboot Daria. I'm like, why it doesn't like, why <laughs> I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> you know? Um, it just like nostalgia doesn't quite scratch any itch for me. Um, maybe they can reboot the babysitters club, like, like a gritty babysitters club, like Riverdale, you know, oh, they're, okay. they're solving mysteries and people are dying. Or did that happen in Babysitter's Club? I don't know. I didn't really read them. <laughs> I mean, I would I would be all in for, like, a super pretty Babysitter's Club. <laughs> like, imagine if R.L. Stein wrote the Babysitter's Club. Yes. I would be so good for that. So, yeah, may, maybe, that, maybe that's the secret, is we need it to just, like, be gridded up, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, let's talk about some of those, like, nostalgia YA titles that many of our listeners are probably going to be like, oh, yeah, I love that, and you know, like good feels. Um, so I'll start with the babysitter's club was the first one I had on my list. And, um, I loved them growing up and I don't, I didn't read them as a teen. I read them as like nine, 10, 11, 12, that perfect, like middle grade age. Uh And, uh, and I was a total Dawn if anyone is playing along at home. And, (laughs) um, that all said, I, I'm really curious about this series because I know that, the graphic novel versions that Raina Telgemeier has been doing are still really popular and that a lot of younger people are reading them. But I'm curious if younger people are still reading the books themselves. I don't know. Um, you know, it's been a while since I've worked in libraries, but I don't remember there being much of a demand for them. Uh, but that was also just when the comics started emerging. So it's hard to say like what it looks like, you know, six, seven years later now. Yeah. What is on your list? Uh, man, there is <laughs> there is not much. Um, I was going to whine about there not being like a Hardy Boys reboot because um, you were talking, or at least you were going to talk about how like Nancy Drew got that update in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a Hardy Boys reboot like 10 years ago with like those pulpy looking covers. Um, but I was never a big Hardy Boys fan when I was younger. Um even though they were invented in my hometown, I don't know. I could have, I could have lived without them. Um, but the, the the reboot of the series is called Undercover Brothers, which I think is kind of <laughs> hilarious. Um, and the covers do look pretty, pretty awesome. Like I feel like if I was a teenager now and I saw those covers, I would want them more than like the old like like oil painting looking ones that look like they were done by like Norman Rockwell or something. Um, I like these, I like these ones a little bit better. Speaking of like older series, how about Fear Street? Can we talk about Fear Street for a minute? It's coming back. It's coming back. Well, and it's, it's bizarre because this is actually the second reboot of Fear Street in recent years. There is a a reboot that came out. I want to say like three or four years ago and there were maybe three or four titles. And then there's a new reboot coming. The first one is out. This week, maybe, or next week, called You May Now Kill the Bride, uh, which I read, and it was great. Like, it's everything you want in a Fear Street novel. It's, like, (laughs) chills, thrills, weird, creepy, um, not necessarily, like, super logical. Uh, Who cares, right? Because that's not why you go in. You're not like, I need this tight, perfect horror. You're like, no, I'm here because I need, like, something campy um, to just, like, (laughs) entertain me. Um, But that just came out, and... There's one coming out in September as well. And uh, so, yeah, the, the thing I'm really liking about this new, new reboot is the covers. Have you seen them? 
They like, I know they, they made them look like the vintage YA books, you know, like from the original series. They even have like, I don't know, like, like, like that illustrated, like water wear and tear damage on it. Like I like it a lot. It's very, I mean, it's very stranger things. And I believe yeah. that that's even like the next book that they have coming out, the one in September. I feel like that's even the, the angle they went for it. They're like perfect for fans of stranger things. So, um, the other book I wanted to like briefly mention, so I know you don't have a whole lot you wanted to talk about here, but, uh, Face on the Milk Carton by Carolyn B. Cooney was a series that, that got repackaged a few years ago. And then there was another book that came into the series. And I can't remember if that was like book five or six. Um, and I remember reading these obsessively when I was young. And again, I think that like nine to 12 age range. And um, for readers who aren't familiar with the book, it's about a girl who sees her face on a milk carton as missing. And she comes to learn that she was like, kidnapped as a kid and taken by this couple who then gave her a different name and like made up this whole identity for her. And it's just like, it's kind of bananas when you think about it now. Um, but when I was that age, I was totally taken by this idea that a family could just kidnap you and change your identity. And you would like not know until you saw your face on the milk carton. What? That's pretty dark, Kelly. That's like, that was like playtime at Kelly's house. I mean, that's wild. So the, and there's a whole series of these? Yes, there's a whole series. Because there's also like a that's boy involved in this. And um, so I'm going to segue and explain like what made me think about this book again recently is I've been listening to the uh, podcast called Teen Creeps, which if you haven't listened to, you need to. Uh, it's a pair of comedians who run it and they read an old school YA and then talk about it on the show. And it's hilarious. Um, it's very clear that they love YA, that it's not coming from any mean place. It's coming from a place of like, what were we reading growing up? (laughs) Like, how did this happen? How did we get away with this? And, uh, Face on the Milk Carton was one that they, they talked about. And it's probably a good starting place for readers who, uh, want to listen to the podcast and have some familiar familiarity with the book because there's something about like a boyfriend in this series of books and like what they do together is totally like how did this even end up in a YA book in the 80s and 90s? like doesn't make any sense I can't believe I have not heard this podcast before I'm gonna subscribe to that immediately that sounds that sounds fantastic um that's so funny we're talking about like other things that bring up YA nostalgia um I don't know if you've ever gone to like that paperback paradise no. Uh, Twitter account. It's like this Twitter account that like they take like Babysitters Club esque books and like other like there's some romance books they do it too a lot where it's like a very like pulpy esque covers and they just like Photoshop new sayings on them. Um, like I remember there's like a Babysitters Club in particular uh, Photoshop where it's like it's like Wendy smashes the patriarchy and you see like the <laughs> it's like the Babysitters Club cover and like. It just happens to be a girl, like, in a room with a bunch of boys. Um, <laughs> and it's – oh, they're so, so funny. You have to you have to go to that uh, that Tumblr and or Twitter account. That made me think of another one that I – another, like, website I really like. And I don't know how often it's updated, if it's even updated anymore. But it's called Clicky Pizza, uh, clickypizza.wordpress.com. And I'll put that address in the show notes. But it's uh, – this like guide to 80s teen book series and pop culture. So you can go look at the covers of like really terrible book series that came out in the 80s. Um, 
And it like it'll list all the series. It'll show most of the covers if they have them. Um, it's ridiculous, and I love it to pieces. Um, but that's another one that you look at and you're like, what were they giving us as kids? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, should we? I feel like this is a nice place that we can segue into the next uh, topic. Yeah, sounds good. Do we want to talk about the Book Riot Insiders? Yes, we do. Do you want to talk about them? Oh, yes, I do want to talk about the Book Riot Insiders. Oh, so our next promo is to talk about Book Riot Insiders. Um, if you sign up to be a Book Riot Insider, um, you can sign up for a uh, 14 day uh, free trial of the Insider program to get a bunch of bookish perks. Um, we share uh, wish lists of upcoming releases that I, we know you'll be dying to read. Um, there are exclusive podcasts and newsletters that only go out to insiders. Uh, sometimes we do fun mashup podcasts with different hosts. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one with Liberty and one with someone else. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, you can enter to win swag. Um, there are epic level spots that open up monthly and novel level, level subscribers Subscribers get the first crack. Um, we have a new release index curated by all the books host Liberty Hardy, uh, which will help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. Uh, so yeah, come on in. Your bag of bookish perks uh, is waiting for you. You can head to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. Yeah. I did um I did my first podcast mix up with Sharifa and I've got my second one coming up and it's so fun to talk about something totally unrelated to your podcast topic, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, and know that the people who are listening are like, I'm super into this, even though this is like not, <laughs> not a thing I'd ever expect to, to care about. So, so uh, our next topic is on this idea of delayed sequels. So we talked about nostalgia YA, and this sort of ties in in, in the respect that like, these are books that have had sequels come out after the initial book came out years and years ago. And so like when I think about this, I think about a book that was originally published like eight or more years ago and that it has like a sequel. So sort of a delay between the two books. And I think eight years is sort of a good time frame because if you think about teenagers and if you consider them between 13 and 18, it's really only five years. So your book comes yeah. out when they're 13 Five years later, they're 18. Like, that is a lot of growth that happens in, in a person. Like, that's probably one of the fastest developmental periods in a, in a person's life. So uh, it's interesting to think about these books then that have, like, lasted even longer. Um, you know, who they're for, like, what the audiences they're trying to reach, and whether or not they're successful at sort of, like, maintaining a readership when t- the target core readership is growing up so quickly. Yeah, you know, for me, I, you know, I, was, I was thinking about uh, this question of like, who are you trying to reach with a sequel that comes out, you know, a decade later, twelve years later? Um, and sometimes I wonder if it's less about the readers who are amped up for more books by those authors, and more about the people who will tell them about the books. You know, like, like I could see like a YA librarian, uh, and you were a librarian, so you can you can correct me uh, on this. Like, getting really hyped up about like a ten year old sequel. Uh, to promote like the whole series to kids as opposed to a reader who grows up and, you know, consequently grows out of those books. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it's more for them to, to keep pushing a series uh, instead of hoping that that, you know, 
someone who read that book at 17 <laughs> will now pick up their sequel when they're 30. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think it's a little tricky in that. So I think, I think you're right. And that part of it is for like the, the gatekeepers, but it's tricky because some of the gatekeepers aren't familiar with the original titles either. And oh, yeah. so then you have to play that like line of, okay, so we have this new book coming out. The original came out 10 years ago. We want you to like talk about this second book, but also you have to go back and read the first book. You know, like for me as a mm-hmm. reader, I'm like, that's way too much investment. <laughs> um, unless it's something I know I'll absolutely love. And um, then I, I will put that time in. But otherwise it's, it's difficult to sort of expect that much back work. On the other hand, that got me thinking about, I wonder how much these are for like true fans of the author. So like fans who are just like, rabid about a certain book or series um and that these books are sort of fan service as opposed to like general readership service yeah i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know what the uh i don't know what the answer is that's so funny you bring up the uh trying to promote a series angle to to all of that and how difficult that can be um because i always feel really guilty when like a publicist sends me like the third book mm-hmm. in like a trilogy and I'm like, Oh, I haven't read these, uh, time to give this away on Twitter. You know, like I don't yeah. know what to do <laughs> when that happens. Uh, so apologies, publicists who are listening. I was going to talk about that very thing with the first book duology I was going to talk about, which is, uh, so Carolyn Mackler wrote the book, the earth, my button, other big round things. And it came out in 2003 so just to set the stage here, 2003, I just graduated high school and was 18. So the sequel to the book, The Universe is Expanding and So Am I, came out this year, uh, which is a huge amount of time between books. And it made me wonder a lot about who the sequel is for. And so when I got, I got copies of the new book, but looking at it, I was like, well, I'd have to go back and read the first one. And I don't, I don't know if I'm like willing to put in that time and effort with a book that like, I don't know a whole lot about, and I don't know a whole lot of people who've read it. So I don't have somebody like, Oh, you'll love it. You know, like you must read it. Um, so it's tricky because I'm thinking like, okay, who do I talk about this book to? And, you know, talking to other people who are like my age, not a lot of people have read the original. So it's hard to then promote the new one too, because you don't have that backstory or that connection. Um, but I know that there are readers who are, you know, all over who have read that first one and love it and are looking for the sequel. I don't know. I'm so torn on this, you know? Yeah. No, I don't know either. Um, it's not like she hasn't had other books in between. Right. Like, exactly. There are lots of books. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, it made me sort of think, too, like, would today's teens relate to something that was, quote, unquote, contemporary 15 years ago? Like, many of them mm-hmm. weren't even born yet. Oh my goodness! I know, I know. I just I aged as you said that <laughs> statement. <laughs> and now people are doing the math. Like, how old is Kelly? Like, trust me. Like, I'm in my thirties. You know that already. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things. It's like you start doing the math, and you're like, oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and, you know. And for me, like, I, I was I was thinking about um, when you brought this up, um, Bombay Blues mm-hmm. by Tanusha Hyder that came out. Um, in 2014, I think it was. Um, so her first book, Born Confused, came out in 2002. So follow-up comes out in 2014. So that's 12 years uh, in between. Um, I don't know. I feel like readers are discovering her a lot more these days. You know, I'm seeing Born Confused popping up on more and more lists. Um, they did like a big, uh, like 
15-year anniversary push for the book um, just last year. Um, so I kind of get the audience demand for more, um, but it's still a really long time. You know, it's a, it's a long time to wait for uh, a sequel there. This one, I wonder, this one specifically, I wonder if part of it is, uh, so when that first book came out, there wasn't the same vocal call for diverse books that there is now. Yeah. And it almost feels like her book came early and this was a really good way to sort of like reintroduce it to new readers mm-hmm. and also then have like the, you know, what's happening now set up. Like this is one that made sense to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't, did she have more books in between the two? I can't remember. She's in a couple anthologies, but I think those are her only two like novels. Oh, huh. Interesting. That's another interesting thing to think about. Like, what did they work on in between those years? Anything? Yeah. Were they working on that sequel for that many years? You know, I know sometimes it's, yeah. it takes you years and years and years to. Well, she's a she's a musician. She has like albums and stuff. Right. Oh, you know, we did an interview with her on Book Riot that I'll link to because she talked about that. Um, oh, okay. Uh, talked about being a musician and like how that played into wanting to do a sequel. And now that you're saying that, I remember remember reading that interview. So. Another one that I saw in a, a catalog just recently was Shelley. I think it's Herdishka's her last name. Um, and the book is called Lost Boy. So it comes out this year. And if you haven't heard of the author, I want to say it's probably not a huge surprise. Um, her first book was called Sister Wife, and it came out in 2008. And I remember it because I read it when it came out. Because it came out during a wave of books about cults and like religious fundamentalism. So it came out at the same time as like The Chosen One by Carol Lynch Williams and Stay Sweet by Michelle Dominguez Green. And uh, so I went and looked this book up again to sort of like refresh my memory. And uh, there are under 1,700 reviews on Goodreads, which is really small for a book that's been out 10 years. And uh, obviously I remember nothing about the book except that it's one of those cult books. So I'm curious like what this new installation will do, Um, whether it will be sort of one of those sequels that you have to read the first book to understand, or if it stands alone enough and like the hope is readers who pick that up and enjoy it, will go back and read the first one. I don't know. Hmm. That's a good question. And I don't know, like I, I can see, uh, I can see readers falling for like a, a cult series, mm-hmm. you know, like again, cause like, I feel like that's something that's so, I mean, it's weird to say, Oh, cults are really hot right now. But like, there's so <laughs> many like podcasts and like, movies and, and, and different media around it. I think I can see, I, I kind of get it. Um, but also you just gave me a lot of, uh, cult book recommendations <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> I to too, pick up because I love them. As, as you were talking about like media and how cults are hot right now. Um, the, the trailer for sacred lies and mental Bly just came out and I wonder if this will be one <gasps> of did? those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It looks awesome. Um, I wonder if this will get some more attention because of that. I hope. Yes. Oh, goodness. Eric's like frantically Google searching. <laughs> I know. I need to like stop because you're going to hear like the trailer in the background. <laughs> Recorded. Um, so like my next uh, like delayed sequel um, is The Lord of Opium by Nancy Farmer. Um, so it's the sequel to uh, The House of the Scorpion, which won, you know, like every YA award ever. It was a... Newbery Honor, Prince Honor, won the National Book Award for Children's Lit. Um, and yeah, 11 years later, over a decade. Um, and look, I 
almost never talk about books that I don't like because I love everything. Um, but I really did not like the sequel to this book. Um, I don't know if you read it, Kelly, but like there's a whole like subplot involving this like biodome and this guy with robotic eyes. And uh, I just <laughs> just book because the first book is great. And then just forget the other one is, is a thing, I think. <laughs> um, and yeah, like this is this kind of goes against the uh, you know give the librarian something else to promote to get the series because like first book won all this stuff. Kid wants to read more. Here's a bad sequel. Like oh, a, yeah, yeah. Really uh, I was going to talk about a series too, like so more than you know just like a companion novel. Um, Megan Whelan Turner's The Thief series. So uh, the sixth and final book comes out next year. Um, and they just released the cover for it on Goodreads. It's called Return of the Thief. And I know a lot of readers who are just like fanatical about the series. Um, I haven't read it because, you know, that thing about I need all the books out um, to read it. So I've got like the first five sitting and I'm just waiting for that last one to show up so I can read them all in one one go. But um, I was looking back at this and I'm like, OK, how long is this series taking her to write? Well, she wrote The Thief, get this, in 1996. Oh, wow. So that is uh, 22 years between the first book and the sixth book. And uh, it's fascinating to me because this series has such a, like, following to it. So I'm curious uh, to see, like, we know that there's a really good fan base. I'm curious what gatekeepers are saying to young readers. Like, are they going to introduce them to the series again, like, with the whole thing out? Have they been recommending it forever with the caveats of, but she takes a really long time between books, you know, like I'm, I'm super curious about that. I don't know. Hmm. I do not know. I actually didn't realize that those books were, uh, that far out that, uh, yeah, that surprised me. Yeah. I didn't either. As soon as I saw that, it was like 1996. Like that was a long time ago. Yeah. You know, then you do the math and you're like, Oh, it was more than 10 years ago too. You know, like, my radar still that the 90s were not that long ago, but they were. <laughs> and that loud noise you hear is the garbage truck, which always comes when we're recording the show. So. Of course. <laughs> um, did you have anything else to add? Uh, that was really my only uh, late sequel, uh, late sequel books. Do you, let's, let's, uh, let's see how we can cleverly like segue into this next topic. Um, Hey, we're going to talk about upcoming and recent YA horror, which I guess fills in with the whole uh, nostalgia YA thing with R.L. Stein and um, and cults. Cults are very hot right now. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> I guess I guess the first thing to note is uh, is I was like, so I sat down and just made a list of like all the YA horror that was coming out, and uh, it's super white, so we're acknowledging that. <laughs> We uh, prepare to talk about the titles, and it got me thinking, too, like, we should, I bet, I bet anything, we'll see more inclusive horror coming soon, especially with the um, huge success of Get Out, and given, like, that came out last year, thinking 2019, 2020, I bet there will be a number of books that are comp to that in YA horror that look at contemporary issues of race and um, look at it through that horror lens. And I hope that that's the case. Like I would love to read some books like that. Yeah. speaking of contemporary horror, I watched a quiet place the other day. Um, if any parents are listening, um, it's pretty much a horror movie about being a parent. That's like kind of how I saw it while I was watching it. I was like, 
watching it with my baby asleep on my chest. I've never been so horrified watching a movie my all my life because I kept thinking, you know, like, how am I going to fight aliens and save my child in this future? I'm not handsome like Jim from The Office. I can't pull off drama and humor. I am useless. Like, I'm going to be useless. Um, I recommend seeing it, though, because <laughs> it does that contemporary horror thing that I'm really interested in now. Like, I want to see more horror movies go this route. You know, I'm sad I haven't seen it yet, but I know I will. Um, oh, it's it's great and devastating. You'll love it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I don't I don't even know why I didn't get around to seeing. Like, I see terrible movies all the time, but like the good ones, it takes me longer to get to for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so on my list, I talked briefly about the Nightingale by Amy Lukovics at the top of the show, but I figured it's worth mentioning again. It's a uh, Science fiction horror set in the 1950s with an unreliable narrator. It comes out in September, and uh, basically, if you haven't read Lukovics already, you should fix that, because she's doing some of the most amazing stuff in YA horror. I think she's one of the few whose like, name should be synonymous with YA horror. And uh, <clears throat> this particular title is Gory, and uh, so if you aren't a fan of gore in your horror, just kind of know that going in and either decide to read you know really carefully or maybe this is not your your pick for horror so that's uh the nightingale by amy lukovics oh uh, so my pick uh this one came out already uh it's it's pitch dark by courtney almedia um so this came out earlier this year and it's one i really want to bring up because like i feel like not a lot of people talked about this book uh when it came out um and just like her debut shutter which is this Oh my goodness, this YA novel about a descendant of Van Helsing who can see undead spirits using her camera, which is awesome. Um, it's super underrated. Um, I love her books. Um, and speaking of aliens and sound, like in A Quiet Place, um, this novel is about a future where aliens kill with sound. Um, yeah, it has very like event horizon vibes, and I feel like a lot of people missed out on this one. Um, it takes place on a ship. It's It's... Really cool. Um, and like her next novel, Seven Deadly Shadows, is co-written with um, Valen uh, Maitani, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Um, it was like this major blockbuster deal of a sale on the insider publishing side of things. Like if you Google it, you'll find it. it talks about it being like this six-figure giant big deal. So I'm hoping that's the book that catapults her to the fame she deserves because like she's amazing. I, I love her books. And uh, that's Pitch Dark by Courtney Amadea. Look for it. That book sounds so good. When I was making the list of titles, I came across that one. I was like, how come I didn't hear about this? Like, I'm sure I did, but it fell under my radar. Uh, So this one, this is a book I got an advanced copy of, like, at the beginning of the year and tweeted about it. And a lot of people got really excited about it. And then... I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to. Um, it's called The Good Demon by Jimmy Koholius. And uh, it, the pitch for this one is that it's true detective meets the exorcist. And it's about a girl who experiences an exorcism and then wants to be reunited with her demon. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> so exorcism, exorcism stories are, like, my favorite thing in a horror Um and so I'm all in for this one when the girl wants to, like, be reunited with a demon who has been exercised from her. And that uh, that comes out next month, end of August, early September, I can't remember, um, soon. And that sounds so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's called The Good Demon by Jimmy Cajoles. 
see, my next horror um, just came out this month, um, and I talked about it a few episodes ago. It's called uh, The Unfortunates by Kim Lidget. Um So it, it talks about something I haven't seen in a YA novel before, which makes it really interesting. Uh, affluenza, which is that condition when you're too wealthy and you just can't help the mistakes that you make, and blah, blah, blah. I hate those people. Um <laughs> So it's about this teen who gets in a car accident. Um, he's really rich, and so he gets off scot-free, uh, and he wants to punish himself. So uh, as he goes to do that, he gets trapped in a cave with a bunch of other people um, who are hunting them. Uh, is it a something? Is it a someone? Who knows? That's why it's a horror novel. Um, and yeah, Affluenza. Never seen that before in a YA book. Uh, check it out. My <laughs> My next one is Witchborn by Nicholas Bowling, and uh, it's a witch story. I haven't read it yet, but it, again, sitting on my shelf, and uh, I looked at it really quickly, and it involves witches and asylums, which are two things I love. And uh, I went and read the reviews on Goodreads, and some of them have been calling it an alternate history, but I, I dug a little bit deeper, and it looks to me like it's one of those historical um, gothic-y sort of novels set in mm-hmm. England. So, um it sounds like one of those atmospheric horrors that like hmm, I'm super into and witches and asylums, like you're, you're taking okay. all the boxes, you know? Um, and that one again comes out in September. I feel like a lot of the horror is coming out in September this year. Um, and that is Witchborn by Nicholas Bowling. Uh, and this one's one you put on my radar, uh, The Fade by Demetria Lunetta. Um, I didn't know she had another book coming out this year. Um, and this one comes out in December, which surprises me because it sounds like such a deliciously creepy book. Like, why not pitch it for Halloween? Um, in it, we meet a uh, girl whose house is haunted by uh, of several ghosts um, who are pushing her to solve their murder. Uh, and she doesn't figure it out. She might be next. So, uh, yes, I'm on board with this. It sounds like a gives me like Nova Rensuma vibes thinking of that, uh, that, that premise there. Um, and yeah, I definitely want to check this one out. Um, and that one's the fade by Demetria Lunetta. There's a, another one that I didn't like write a description down or anything for, but I've that it's site skin today on book rights of the big ads. And I've seen it everywhere and got a copy, uh, but haven't touched it yet. And it's called campfire by Sean Sarlis. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks very much like a, uh, R.L. Stein sort of horror like at least that's the way the cover looks to me but uh it's a book out from james patterson's ya line and as much as i want to make fun of that line i really do um some of the books that have come out from it have been reviewed really really well so it's possible this is really great too um i'm I'm curious enough to look it up um it's another one of those like lost in the woods slash survival scary stories um, and that is Campfire by Sean Sarlis. Oh, man. Some good books. Yeah. I also got a copy of Campfire uh, sent my way. I haven't, I haven't checked it out just yet. Yeah, I, I didn't think I would. And then I've been seeing it everywhere. And I'm like, I should at least like flip through it and see if it's, yeah. you know. Um, do you have any any others? or? No, that's it for me. Yeah, I think, I think me too. So uh, I guess this is the part of the show where we say that in the next episode of Hey YA, we'll be doing our book club book. So um, yeah, we'll do a 20 minute segment or so talking about the book, what we liked, um, contemporary connections, who we think the readers for the book would be. And uh, we'd love if you'd join us. The book is Tyrell by Co-Booth, which you should be able to pick up at any library or any bookstore. No problem. It's, I want to say it's like 12 years old. 
or so, and the first in a loosely connected series of books. So um, grab a copy and join us as we talk about it next next episode. And uh, after that, I guess this is the part where we say thanks for tuning in. If you have any feedback about the show, leave it at Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing, and when you do that, it helps other people find us. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Instagram and on Twitter as Veronica Kelly Mars. And you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we will talk to you again in two weeks. Bye.